Well, would you stand with me as we say the Trinity Declaration together and prepare for God's Word? Let's recite this together. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. I am invited, chosen, called, and loved because God has my full attention and cheerful yes, I am good soil for the good news. I will be faithful with my identity, song, gift, and testimony. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are in week four of our October series called By the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're studying the Holy Spirit. We're learning about the Holy Spirit. We're kicking confusion out of our minds about th this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit that's at work in our church and at work in our souls. And we are also seeking to have greater desire and greater experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We uh, talked about being alive by the Spirit regeneration, the resurrection of our souls coming to life, just like Jesus was raised from the dead by the Spirit. We talked about how he guides us and leads us as our navigator by being controlled by the Spirit. He uses conviction, and then we receive and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And last week, we talked about unity, being united by the Holy Spirit and preserving the bond of peace. With a diverse congregation from every tribe and every nation and every language, how can we have so much agreement and have so much unity, have a powerful, united witness and voice? It's because of the Holy Spirit. And if we maintain the attitude of the Holy Spirit, we will attain unity in knowledge and in faith, as Ephesians 4 taught us. Today, we're going to talk about uh, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, receiving uh, supernatural divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. I know some of you have been waiting for this message. You're like, I want to talk about that like explosive dynamite power of God in us, the super in my natural. This, uh, we call it a spatural collision, right? The supernatural in the natural. We want to talk about God in us, doing things beyond us, making us better than ourselves. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. We know that the Holy Spirit is the soul of the church. Without him, we're finished. The good news is he is guaranteed to be with us and be working inside of our church till the end of time. Um, we, cannot be, um, we cannot separate the church from God. And it's important to understand that the church was birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every heartbeat of the church is in the Holy Spirit. And we cannot separate our life that comes through faith. We cannot separate that from the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we see him active and working, but, but he was kind of a, a rare gift that would come upon few people for short periods of time for special actions and special works. We talked about this a few weeks ago when the Holy Spirit came on Samson and Samson ripped a lion in half. And we talked about how we need the Holy Spirit because the enemy is a lion that's prowling and he's seeking to devour us. And we need the power of God to overcome the enemy and be able to rip him in half. And, and we see these situations like when Saul was anointed king of Israel, the Holy Spirit came upon him. But when God removed his blessing on Saul, the Holy Spirit left him. And the, the wording is important too. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He didn't dwell within him. So we see there's a difference in the new covenant than in the old covenant, and we're going to look at why in a second. The Holy Spirit came on judges like Othniel and Gideon and Samson, and they enabled, the Holy Spirit enabled supernatural actions of deliverance for his people through his servants. But the Holy Spirit only came for short periods of time. In Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, we see a prophecy that's a little bit of a shift from how we had seen the Holy Spirit operating. This is kind of a preview of life in the Spirit for the church, and it's about Jesus. This is what it says. It says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So, in this prophetic word by Isaiah, we're seeing a big terminological shift. 
or talking a little bit differently about the Holy Spirit will work in someone. And it, it says it will rest, he will rest upon him. And this is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. It's a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It goes on to talk about the, the spirit of discernment, the ability to make the right decisions, live in the fear of the Lord and honor God. We're, we're discovering what the Holy Spirit's going to do in the church in supernatural ways later in this prophecy about how Jesus is going to live. He's going to live with might and wisdom and knowledge and counsel and discernment. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower those things. Well, then Jesus shows up. We see the Holy Spirit resting upon him, ministering through him. He's laying aside uh, this, this divine status as he lives, and he's ministering by the Holy Spirit as, as an example for his disciples, as an example for you and I. He's spending hours in prayer. He's going off by himself to, to be in solitude with the Father so that he can commune with him and have his heart. And he's giving us a pattern for how to minister and live dependent and reliant on the Holy Spirit. So we see this, and then and as Jesus is exampling this for his disciples, he says, hey, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to head up to where my father is, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I have a gift for you. I have a help for you. This is uh, marking this major change in the Spirit's work. The Spirit came to stay. Jesus, this is why, Jesus was a holy soul for the Holy Spirit. There weren't any other holy soul options in this world for the Holy Spirit to come and rest on, to come and dwell within. But that all changed when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus opened up a way for redemption for you and I, for you and I to be regenerated and all of a sudden live a guiltless life of confidence under the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a... An interesting thing, if you've seen a cartoon like this maybe in the past or uh, on TV or maybe even in the comic pages where someone is just having a bad day and they, um, and they have like an umbrella over them, but it's raining in the umbrella. Like the rain's coming down from the top of the umbrella. Everyone else is dry. Everybody else is walking in the sunshine, but they're walking under the rain of this umbrella. Well, if you could take that image in your mind and think about the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. We're living in this sin-cursed and broken world. It's not holy, it's unholy. We're Easter people in a Halloween world. And when Jesus comes, he becomes this umbrella over us. He becomes this umbrella over us. We're living underneath his blood. He, his blood is on our doorposts when he hung on that cross and then we laid our lives at the foot of the cross. So when Jesus becomes our, our salvation, when he becomes our righteousness, and we're living under him, when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus, we also are not just living under his blood, we're living under the gifts and blessings of his Holy Spirit. And in the terminology that we get into is we're living in an outpouring. There's some rain terminology, and, um, and that's because that in the book of Joel, in the book of Hosea, in the book of Isaiah, and then in 1 Peter, what we understand as the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is talked about as a latter rain. A latter rain. You see, in Israel, their seasons are a little bit different than our seasons. And uh, here, we would see a latter rain before harvest, and then we would see, you know, crops experiencing that last growth, uh, a ripening. We would also see crops uh, experiencing a, uh, a readiness to be harvested, and that's what happens. There's an early rain, and there's a latter rain. The early rain gets the ground ready for planting. The latter rain gets the crops ready for harvest. And this prophecy keeps coming that there will be a latter rain. And, and you read it in these different passages, and it talks about a latter rain in the spring. And to us, that doesn't really make sense because our seasons are different. But that's because they're getting ready to harvest in Israel in the spring. And so the Bible keeps uh, prophesying that there will be this latter rain 
It'll be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will bring many people to the Lord and prepare many crops for harvest. And 1 Peter 5, 7 calls it the beautiful crop of his church. God is getting ready to come back for his church, but there's more people that need harvested. There's more people that need to come into the faith. So we are all of a sudden underneath Jesus, recipients of his gift, the Holy Spirit. It's raining under the umbrella of Jesus, and we're singing in the rain. Amen. All the Gene Kelly fans loved that. They just, amen. Okay. Here we go. So Jesus said, Jesus said, uh, Jesus is this holy soul for the Holy Spirit. And we know that, that God doesn't fellowship with sin. So when Jesus redeemed other sinners, he says, wait a minute, I have something more for you coming soon after I depart. And then we see this play out in Luke 24, 49. He said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but remain in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives is an empowering gift, bringing power from heaven into our weakness and into our limitations. We have an unlimited God coming into our limited selves. Then the day of Pentecost comes, comes and we see this play out. Acts 2, 3, and 4. These people are gathered, seeking God, worshiping him for 10 days in an upper room. And they see what seems to be tongues of fire separating and coming to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We know from a few weeks ago that they were actually already filled when Jesus breathed on them after he was resurrected. They already had the faith, but they received in their spirit the resurrection. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We know they've already confessed faith in Jesus Christ, but we see them becoming the church in that moment, regenerated. Now we see a subsequent and distinct experience that it, this is the first moment it happens for the entire church. And 120 people receive this experience, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and then they begin to spread the gospel, and more and more people receive this same experience. We call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus described this uh, throughout his ministry, and John the Baptist talked about it too. He said, one will come greater than I who will baptize you in fire and the Holy Spirit. Not just in water, but there will be this immersion that people experience where the Holy Spirit comes upon them, rests on them, and indwells them in a new and distinct way with an empowerment for ministry. This is the first sign of an empowerment, this gifting at Pentecost. I, I like, it, it says, um, it says in Acts uh, 233, this is later when Peter is preaching to a, a whole bunch of people that are like, what's going on? Are these people drunk? They're speaking in other tongues. It's very bizarre. And they couldn't understand it. There was confusion. And Peter brings clarity in this sermon about what God is doing, the power of God is doing in people. And he says that Jesus is pouring out his spirit and I like the way that the KJV says it, the King James. It says, Jesus is shedding forth. He's shedding forth his Holy Spirit. He is giving this gift. He's the gift giver. Um, so when we say we want a fresh outpouring, we could also say we want a, a, a fresh forth shedding from Jesus. We want him to give us his spirit and experience his spirit in power. Now, we see here that the Holy Spirit is a general gift for all believers. He's promised that there is a baptism experience for all believers. He will pour out his spirit on all flesh. This is an available gift for everyone. But then there are also distinct gifts of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are important. We have to prioritize spiritual gifts in the church today. They weren't just important in the apostolic age. They're important today. And um, we're going to talk about why that is for the rest of this message. Um, charismatic, a charismatic understanding and acceptance of the active working of the Holy Spirit in 
the church. That's what we operate in as Pentecostals, that God gives charismata, spiritual gifts, to people to build up his church and to reach the world for Christ. Um, This is the definition we'll give you of spiritual gifts today. Spiritual gifts are manifest expressions of God's power, exercised by the church, serving and working beyond their natural abilities for the building up of the church and an empowered witness to the world. Spiritual gifts are manifest expressions. That means we can see them. We can hear them. And they're not expressions of human power. We have to exercise them. God won't do them, force them through us. We have to exercise them, but we receive them from God. It's grace of God and faith of the believer that brings spiritual gifts into a manifest expression. The words God uses in 1 Corinthians 12 are servings and workings. He gives servings and workings. Serving is the word diaconia, and it's where we get the word deacon, someone that will serve. There's all these different expressions of serving God that are spiritual gifts. And then there's works, works of miracles and faith and power, uh, words of knowledge, speech gifts, um, revelatory gifts. There's uh, inspiration gifts. And these are uh, workings of God, energamata, it's called. The word, it's where we get the word energy. And spiritual gifts are kind of in these two groups. They're in servings and workings that are empowered by God in the church today. Our first thought today is that we need to give increased priority to our dependence on spiritual gifts. We have technology today. We have Google. We have bells and whistles we never had before. We have Bluetooth technology. There's radio waves we've tapped into we've never tapped into before, but we still need, above all, the Holy Spirit. It's not by might and not by power, not by tech, not by cleverness. It's it's not by social media. It's not by any of these things, but by the Holy Spirit that real spiritual fruit is produced, that real advancing of the kingdom of God happens. It's by the Holy Spirit. It's in those places that we can't look to man and give credit and praise to man, but we can give credit and praise to God and see the power of God clearly. Um, we we want to fan into flame the gifts of God, not just the natural gifts that we steward, but we want to fan into flame spiritual gifts. It's easier to focus on natural gifts in the church, in our own lives. It's easy to look at what's at our fingertips. God's given me this. God's given me this. God's given me this. I want to be faithful with those things and steward them. Good, good. However, there are unseen, intangible things that God places in us and God wants to do through us that we cannot neglect. We need to desire greatly, earnestly desire them, and we need to develop and cultivate them. So it's easy to focus on the natural, but we are people of the spirit who live by faith, not by sight, that need to give priority. That means a greater place and a greater attention to the spiritual gifts that God wants to use in our lives. Here's what we believe about spiritual gifts. In the the world today, there's a lot of Christian difference surrounding this topic. There are groups that, that bring no acknowledgement to spiritual gifts. There are groups that bring some acknowledgement and say some continue and some uh, gifts ended with the uh, apostles and their friends. And then there are some groups that abuse the spiritual gifts. Because of all those reasons, there's a lot of charismatic skepticism. There are folks that maybe aren't filled with the spirit, but they're filled with the spirit. They get a lot of feelings and spiritual emotion, and they want to grab a microphone. They get a lot of spiritual hype and spiritual emotion, and they want to step out and do something that maybe isn't empowered by God, but their emotions were stirred up, and then they act in their flesh. There's spiritual abuses out there. I understand the skepticisms around spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit doing Holy Spirit things through people. However, we see clarity in God's word and some Uh, limitations and organizational things to have the gifts operating orderly in the body. So what do we believe? We believe spiritual gifts are sovereignly and supernaturally imparted by God. Some may be in you since birth. We're going to talk about these in in a moment. Functional gifts 
Maybe you were uh, born and you have a, a gift of mercy inside of you or a, a gift of hospitality inside of you. And it, it was in there fr from early days. It's like deep in, in the spiritual DNA of who you are. And until salvation, that gift is either dormant or it's used selfishly. But then at salvation, all, that, all of a sudden that becomes a spiritual gift that's put to work for the kingdom of God. And then there's also uh, supernaturally imparted gifts, not just sovereignly imparted and, and built into you, but supernaturally imparted in a moment of need where God will employ you to meet a need in power. Spiritual gifts are given as grace and exercised by faith. We said this a moment ago, but again, God will not do spiritual gifts through you. You have to meet him in faith and exercise a gift. The, the, gift is, it, the gift is controlled by the one who has the gift. So we know God doesn't take over and do something crazy in us that we're not accountable for, but he gives us a gift for us to use. Spiritual gifts are sought, but not earned. God wants us to desire them, God wants us to not be ignorant of them, learn about them, pray for them, want them, want to be used to build up his church. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many prayers we pray. It doesn't matter what type of uh, life we've lived. We cannot earn a spiritual gift. They're not awards, they're rewards. They're gift of, gifts of grace that are not earned. Spiritual gifts are not a measure of holiness. Next Sunday, we're gonna talk about a uh, measure of holiness which is the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit are not a measure of holiness. Um, every person who operates in any spiritual gift, whether it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a distinctive gift that God's given them, they are still sinners saved by grace. They are still imperfect people. Just because they speak in tongues, just because they have some leadership gifting or a, maybe even a ministry calling, an office gift, like an apostle or teacher or pastor or evangelist, they are still a sinner saved by grace. And what we have to understand is the gifting is not a measure of their holiness. To operate in their gifting, they need to qualify and not disqualify themselves. However, they are still imperfect and broken people. What we understand about holiness is when we see the fruit of the Spirit blossoming and taking over and kicking out the sinful nature of someone, amputating, circumcising their heart, cutting off these actions, and then operating the way the Holy Spirit would act. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Come next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Spiritual gifts are not essential for salvation but they do increase fruitfulness. They do increase the fruitfulness of the believer. And lastly, no believer is giftless. One body, many parts, every part has a gift. Amen. Amen, good. Well, I'd like to share uh, with you just a moment of teaching because I know there are many people who are new to Trinity. Maybe you came to Trinity with a Christian background in another denomination or another tradition, and you're like, I've seen spiritual gifts used uh, differently than maybe the Bible talks about. Or I was from a church that never talked about spiritual gifts one time ever. I, I'm however years old, and this series is the first series uh, that I'm really looking into the Holy Spirit. I just want to take a minute and explain some of the Christian difference that I, that's out there to help you know, okay, what do we believe and why do we believe it? When it comes to gifts of power, sign gifts, where the Holy Spirit just shows up and does something in someone, like a gift of a, a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy or a tongue and interpretation where someone is speaking a tongue they don't know but they're speaking it fluently because God's placed it in their mouth and by faith they're exercising it and speaking it out. And then someone hearing that tongue, not knowing that tongue at all, God gives them an interpretation of it. Whether it's a, an earthly tongue from a dialect that's unknown uh, to the speaker or whether it's a heavenly tongue that none of us know. God will give them an interpretation to speak it out clearly. These are uh, sign gifts. These are power gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they're still in operation today. There are many who believe those gifts have ceased, that those gifts are not in operation in the church. The Spirit's not using them anymore. 
Um, while he uses the functional gifts, he's done using the power gifts. And I want you to understand why at Trinity, we believe God's not done using those gifts. And he may at some point prompt you and give you that grace that you can exercise by faith. And that's allowed here. That's desired here. That's earnestly and eagerly desired. So here's a brief overview of why some people think we shouldn't do that. And then I wanna give you an overview of why we should be operating in the Holy Spirit power gifts. Um, we call this view that the miracle gifts have ceased, we call it cessationism, ceased cessation. So cessationism says that these gifts ceased at the end of the apostolic age. So when we see the, the end of apostolic ministry with Paul, uh, some say is he's the last one, when we see the end of the apostolic age, that these gifts have ceased. Here's why. Cessationists believe that the Bible says sign gifts would cease. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, where they are tongues, they will cease. Where they are prophecies, they will cease. Um, and we will be brought into completeness. We're brought into the completeness of our understanding. Right now, we understand in part. Someday, we will understand completely. Cessationists believe that talked about the end of the apostolic age. But what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about is the eternal presence of God. When we get into the presence of God, a lot of things are going to cease. Preaching is going to cease. We're not going to have a pulpit up there. We're going to be worshiping all the time. A lot of things are going to cease. Um, and so it's just a different view of what it means that tongues and prophecies will cease. When will they cease? 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about the completeness we will know in the eternal presence of God. Sign gifts were only meant to authenticate the apostles living during the apostolic age. They believed that the apostles were laying the foundation of the church, and once that foundation was laid, there was no more need for miraculous gifts. The foundation of the church only had to be laid one time. Ephesians 2.20 says the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. So there's one view of why the Holy Spirit gave gifts and it's a limited, right? It's given for a limited time just to lay the foundation of the church. Another view of cessationism uh, is that later New Testament writings speak about sign gifts in the past tense. Hebrews 2 says, this salvation was first announced by the Lord and then confirmed to us by those who heard him. God testified past tense to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is in past tense in Hebrews 2 because it's talking about what God has already done. It's giving a historical narrative of where the church is and how God has done it. It's like me telling you the history of my family. My family's not over, but I'm going to tell you what God has done in my family up to that point. And then uh, another reason, there's, there's seven kind of big reasons. These four are the biggest for cessationists is, uh, is church tradition. And our patristic fathers, Augustine, a church leader who's thinking reshape theology in profound ways, uh, many of the things we do and believe today kind of trace their roots back to Augustine's writings and teachings. Augustine, he thought that God seemed to have ceased miracle manifestations lest the mind should seek visible things. He thought that people needed to respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in faith, not because of visible manifestations that then are undeniable. He thinks they still need room for some deniability for faith to really be the, the foundation and premise of their walk with God. So that's what Augustine said in his writing, The Retractions. We are continuationists. Continuationalism is the view that all spiritual gifts continue until today. Let me tell you why. We know miracle gifts are still valid because we see them in operation today and many of you have experienced them and speak in tongues and operate in your spiritual gifts and you know for a fact no one can tell you otherwise because you've experienced what you see in the New Testament church, amen. Another reason is Paul gives clear and frequent instruction reg regarding prophecy throughout his letters. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says Christians should earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. That's present active. You need to be earnestly desiring. And again, his letters are universal letters to the church. In 1 Corinthians 4.39, he says that 
We should desire to prophesy and we shouldn't forbid speaking in tongues. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20, he says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. Another reason we are continuationalists here at Trinity is that others besides the apostles did miracles. We see that Stephen, a deacon in the church, did many signs and wonders. We, uh, we know that in 1 Corinthians 13, talking about tongues and prophecies ceasing isn't referring to present day, but rather the eternal presence of God. Another reason is that we can't pick and choose. Miraculous and non-miraculous gifts are mixed together in every biblical passage they're talked about. They're mixed together. If one gift continues, why wouldn't the others continue? All believers think that teaching and leadership continue. Why shouldn't miraculous gifts? Um, juxtaposed against Augustine is Justin Martyr and Arrhenius, who lived hundreds of years after the gospel, 160 and 192 AD. Uh, Justin Martyr said prophecy was happening all the time in their church. Arrhenius said believers in his day were performing, performing miracles, healings, and raising people from the dead. So we see that this continued in church tradition for hundreds of years um, in the early church. I want to jump to my second point, Mike. And I think that the church difference around this issue today is unfortunate. Anytime we talk about church difference, we need to talk about it gracefully, patiently, and humbly because you and I are not omniscient. You and I do not have the final authority on God's word. God's word has final authority, and we try to align our interpretation uh, in agreement with the whole counsel of scripture. And we like to talk about it and think about it and develop in our understanding. And sometimes I struggle to talk about this specific Christian difference with the grace and patience of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I pray the Holy Spirit would help me. And here's why I think it's an unfortunate and disappointing Christian difference. When we limit God, when we limit God and limit his work and limit his church, we are getting away from all New Testament theology that tells us we have a limitless, unlimited God. Oftentimes, we fail to limit ourselves. We get an unlimited, limitless view of ourselves and our own strengths and a limited view of God. When really the New Testament church was operating in just the opposite way. They had a limitless view of God and a really limited view of themselves. And I think we need to get back to that today. Here's, here's what you hear in our pulpit you hear us stand in Christian difference against some limited views of God. Here's a limited view of God we stand against. That salvation is only for a predestined elect. That God only wants to save some people. We believe that God will save his elect and that all of us, all of us have been predestined to know God. We can choose to, to reject him and rebel against him and not walk in what God created us for, but all of us were created to know God. John 3.16, favorite word in there is, whosoever believes in him. Not just the, the special elite who believe in him, but whosoever would believe. The belief is on us. Whoever chooses to believe and follow Jesus. So we are not deterministic that God has predetermined everybody who will come to faith, but he foreknows those that will come to faith. And he wants all to come to faith, whosoever will believe. Another limit is that we limit spiritual expression to operate freely in believers. This is that cessationist thought. That the Holy Spirit can't do that, and he can't do that today, and he can't do that, and he can't do that. And he, frankly, he won't do these things. That cessationist limit is one you will not hear in our pulpit. And another uh, priority here in our interpretation and belief is that there is not limited usefulness depending on gender. We are not a complementarian church, but we believe um, that God, by his Holy Spirit, will give 
spiritual gifts to every person, just like Joel 2 prophesied on young men and on young women, on old men and on young men, on people in this bracket and people in this bracket. God will pour out on everybody and by those spiritual gifts we minister. By those spiritual gifts, we're faithful and we're useful and we build up the church. And because God will pour out on everybody, we don't limit uh, what gender can minister by the spirit. Man has limited God into a determinist, cessationist, complementarian uh, God who can't save everybody, can't use everybody, and won't empower anybody. That's a limited view of God. Why would the Holy Spirit stop empowering people to work for the kingdom of God? The enemy has not ceased empowering people to work against the kingdom of God. Why would God only want to save some people when the enemy wants to take all people? That's not the God we serve, and that's not our view of the God we serve. The needs have not ceased. Why would the gifts cease? The mission has not ceased. 40% of the world cannot assign any understanding to the name of Jesus. Why would the gifts cease? Someday I want our church to stand before God and say, we empowered everyone you empowered to fulfill their calling. Praise God. So we need to repent of thinking in these ways that I can cultivate my own relationship with God into sufficient communion on my own. We can't. That I can experience natural completeness. I can be all that God made me to be and I can serve in any way God made me to serve without a reliance and empowerment on the Holy Spirit. We can't. We need to repent that we think we can exercise our own strengths into spiritual effectiveness. It's not by might and it's not by power. When we do it that way, they're just sandcastles that wash away. We want to do something eternally significant, and we need to return to the attitude of John the Baptist, who knew Jesus would baptize by fire, when he said, he must increase, I must decrease. So that gives us fertile soil to receive spiritual gifts. I, um, I like Mary's attitude before the Lord in Luke and I know this isn't a story of Pentecost. It's not a story of someone being baptized in the Holy Spirit or somebody prophesying or giving a word of wisdom or whatever. But look at Mary in, in Luke chapter one. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. Mary says, basically, she says, I cannot. I cannot, angel. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Then the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Overshadow, I love this word. The Holy One to, to be born will be called the Son of God. Then Mary says, yes. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You can receive and, and be used in any way God wants to use you. You can receive any spiritual gift. You say, God, I don't understand it all. I don't know all you want to do with me. Certainly, I don't have the power to do it all. But God, I, I admit before you, I cannot build up the church you want me, the way you want me to build up this church. And I cannot reach my friends and reach the lost and reach my family the way you want me to reach the lost. However, God, recognizing I can't do it, I recognize you can, and I say yes to whatever you have for me. If you pray that way, you are fertile soil for spiritual gifts. That word, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and overshadowed her, is the word episkiazo, and it just means to envelop. It's only used two other places in the New Testament. It's used uh, at Jesus' baptism. This uh, enveloping, overshadowing came, uh, the, the Holy Spirit came down upon Christ. And then it's also used to talk about the Mount of Transfiguration where this glory comes and, and surrounds and radiates around Jesus. Um, and, and that's what's happening to Mary. It's drawn from the familiar Old Testament idea of a cloud symbolizing the immediate presence and power of God coming and resting on the tent of meeting, coming and falling on top of Mount Sinai. Uh, that, that cloud of the glory of God's presence falling and resting somewhere. That's what happened to Mary. It was like she was in a spiritual bubble it wasn't just like, 
yeah, I'll be back here, Mary. I'll be with you. I'll be behind you. No, it was like God was all around her. If the enemy wanted to come attack her as she's carrying Jesus in her womb, nope, the enemy is beside her, behind her, before her, all around her. He's standing in front of her and protecting her. That spiritual, supernatural empowerment happened to Mary. And when we have that same attitude, it says, God, how can this be? I cannot build your church and edify your church. I cannot reach the lost you way, the way you want me to. But yes, God, I want everything you have for me. When we have that same attitude, the Holy Spirit will overshadow us as well. It's not that you're incomplete if you're a believer that has not experienced this universal gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's available to all of us. Again, you can't give that to yourself. You can't earn it. You just make yourself available and God will bring it to you. you uh, it's not that you're incomplete if you haven't experienced spiritual gifts in your life, but you become more complete. So you're not incomplete, but there's more completion and more and more and more completion as you continue to walk with the Holy Spirit. He continues to give you things from heaven. Your soul's purified. You're alive in Jesus. You'll be made perfect. You're gonna stand in his glorious presence eternally. However, there is more for you in the Holy Spirit. Um, I know that's kind of a weird kingdom of God thought that you're not incomplete, but you can be more complete. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, this is the situation Paul walks into in Ephesus, he says, he's just noticing some things and he says, hey, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, but have you received the Holy Spirit? They already, they've already been regenerated by the Spirit, but have you received spiritual gifts, the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Because there's more for you, church in Ephesus. And they say, no. And he says, well, let's pray. And let's say, I can't do it on my own, Jesus. I want more of you. And the Holy Spirit came and they all were filled. So, and that was 20 years after the day of Pentecost. 20 years later, great example. We need spiritual gifts to overcome spiritual challenges. And I just want to leave you with this. Brian, you can come join me. There are 20 gifts listed in uh, in three lists in the New Testament. And then there's four more gifts mentioned throughout the New Testament. So there's 24 spiritual gifts that are specifically named in the New Testament that we can operate in. And then these are a sampling of gifts. There's more things that the Holy Spirit will do through you and in you as you continue to seek him. He'll give you um, uh, one of these gifts. He'll give you something more, something else. We want it always to fall in line with the order of the Holy Spirit and the desire of the Holy Spirit not that we would take advantage of others, not that we would be self-glorified, not that we would be self-seeking or self-serving, but always that we would lift up Jesus and always that we would build up his church. Um, so here's, here's just the sampling of gifts we see. We see motivational or functional gifts in Romans 12, six through eight. These are uh, service, teaching, encouragement, generosity, leadership, and mercy. These are those things that were maybe baked into you in your DNA, but when you give your life to Jesus, all of a sudden they become tools for his kingdom. They're no longer dormant or selfish tools, they're spiritual gifts. And then we see uh, ministry gifts. These are office gifts. He calls people into the office of uh, apostolic ministry, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and he is able, enabling them to serve effectively. And then there's manifestation gifts. And these are the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's nine of them here. There's the word of wisdom or knowledge, the discerning of spirit. You know, words are powerful. A lot of times you'll be worshiping and you'll be in connection with another believer and God will say, go tell them this thing. He puts it on you so strongly and often if it truly is a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, it won't make sense to you because God's giving it to you to edify somebody else. And so you say yes, and you obey God, and you just say, hey, I'm not here to tell you, thus saith the Lord, but I do sense strongly in my spirit that the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you something. And if I'm way off, guess what? I'm imperfect. But I sense the Holy Spirit has a word for you. And you go to them and you tell them that, and guess what? God breaks some yoke in their life, something they've been dealing with and struggling with, some decision they've had to make. God sheds light through you on them. Maybe it's a decision they know they need to make, but you confirm it. That's a beautiful thing when God gives you a message for somebody else. And, uh, and don't be scared or shy about that. And it's always great when you just frame it and say, I sense, I think 
that the Lord is telling you. You have to exercise it fearlessly. You gotta step out and just be like, hey, I'm not gonna hold this in because God gave this to me. I'm gonna use it. Um, there's there's the discerning of spirits. Jesus did this often. He did it with the Pharisees and he got supernatural intuition as to what was happening that no one else could see. He's sharing and he says, hold on, Pharisees, why is there evil in your hearts? How, how did he know that? How did he know what they were thinking? It was a discerning of spirits. Uh, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. There's, there's gifts like prophecy and tongues, interpretation, faith, healing, and miracles. Um, these things are at work today. They happen today. We hear stories about them today, but we want to see stories of them today. We want to know the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us at Trinity. That's why we're doing some teaching on this this morning. Now, there's other gifts mentioned. Hospitality, intercession, craftsmanship, creative arts in the New Testament. And you're saying, I might have some of those. God might be leading me towards some of those. I want to pray for some of those. How can I get some direction on that or understanding? I'm so glad you asked. If you go in Linktree today, if you go through our website, um, you can find access to our growth track. Some of you have already been through growth track. Everybody needs to go through it to really uh, get employed and, and uh, develop their spiritual gifts. But we have a couple spiritual gifts assessments in there. One's kind of a personality assessment. One's a spiritual gift assessment. And all 24 gifts are listed. And you'll see, hey, I have the gift of mercy and I never knew it. I, I have the gift of administration and I never knew it. And then you'll see right there, serve teams at Trinity that you can use that ministry gift um, on that team. It's a great tool. I wanna encourage you to take that step today if you haven't already. It's a 72 question spiritual gift assessment and you will fly right through it. There's stated goals for spiritual gifts. That unbelievers, people who are far from God, We'll get an understanding and a revelation of the reality of God, just like we talked about at the end of uh, our worship time today. When we said what 1 Corinthians 14 says, that the secrets of our hearts are laid bare, we fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is really among us. Well, then it says in 1 Corinthians 14, what then is the right course, believers? When you meet together, each one should have a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let everything be constructive and edifying and done for the good of all the church. So the stated goals for spiritual gifts are one, that unbelievers would come to know God, that God would put a blazing fire on our witness and draw people to the cross. And two, that we would participate and be activated in spiritual gifts. That when we come into God's house, it's not that one person has a hundred words of wisdom and has a hundred Psalms and one worship team has a, a, a 100 songs of blessing to the Lord. It's not that it's on a few people to be the body of Christ, but all of us are activated in participating in the power and the life of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for you today. So as we close, here's a few questions to ask yourself. What do you need to do today to increase your hunger for God? Bible says to passionately, earnestly, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Do you? Are you? You can't want a spiritual gift if you don't wanna edify the church because gifts are for edifying the church and building it up. So if you don't care about God building his church, then you won't want a spiritual gift. But if you want to see God's church advance and wanna be a part of it, you will passionately desire, God, give me all you have for me. Use me, God, beyond myself. Second question is, what do you need to do today to increase your personal flame? And I'll answer it for you. You need to worship and adore Jesus, lift up Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So if you do that, Jesus will partner with you in shed forth his spirit on you. Just seek after him like they did in the upper room. Just seek to glorify him and know him. Spend more time in worship. Ask God for the baptism. Ask him for a fresh outpouring. And what do you need to do today to increase the development of his gifts in you? Those two tests online are so helpful. You can do those on your own. You can do them with a mentor um, or, or with your growth group. 
What do you need to do to increase your desire to build the church? Pray for that, pray for that desire. And what do you need to do to increase your desire to reach the world? Pray, start to name lost people far from God. Name them before Jesus every day. If you're praying for them, your desire to see them one will grow. If you're praying for them, your heart to do something for them will grow and grow and grow. Would you stand with me today? If you sense at some point, I think God's given me a corporate gift and I wanna exercise it in our local congregation. It's more than for one person, it's for everybody. I want you to know there's a process for that. And Pastor George had this process and it was so beautiful and I have this process and anyone who's overseeing the service with spiritual authority over what's happening in the room at that moment, if you sense God gives you a word, come right down front here. We call this the pastor pit. Just come right down front here and find the person that's overseeing over that moment and say, I sense, I sense that God has a word for the room right now. I sense that I have a message in tongues for the room right now. I sense that God wants me to operate in this spiritual gift. Come and share that, and that person will confirm that that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the room, that that's the direction of the Spirit in that moment, and that's the authority that God has given our, uh, our pastors and leaders. And so come, share it with them, and then they'll confirm that and give you the opportunity. We want you to exercise the grace that God's given you. And sometimes it's right there waiting for you. It's right there waiting for you. Spiritual gifts happen like that all the time. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus is already knocking at the door with grace, ready to save your soul. But other times you have to step out in faith before you receive by grace. That's why he says earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He wants to see you believing that God will use you before that grace is there and flows through you. I wanna pray for you today and just encourage you. Let your flame, your desire to build up God's church and to reach the world, grow and grow and grow. And it's gonna lead you beyond yourself into the helper, into the, the counselor. It's gonna lead you into the, the gift himself, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I thank you for each person today that has come into this house to worship you and know you better and, and walk and be formed into the image of your son. Today, God, I pray that each person would know the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. God, that they would receive the, the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit Lord, power for witnessing. And God, they would also experience a spiritual gift, whether it's um, a ministry gift, a manifestation gift, but they would know the, the joy of being used by you, being used of you, of your power in your body. Jesus, we thank you that you continue to work among us today. God, we pray that our dependence and prioritization on spiritual gifts would grow, that we would see you active in us more and more and more. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship God together before we close today.